if you'll find two places, 1 Corinthians 12 and Exodus 18. Our main message is going to come from Exodus 18 as we continue our series, Pastor and Church, tonight. As a reminder, the goal of this series is to highlight my roles and responsibilities to you as your pastor and your roles and responsibility towards me as the congregation. And what we've really been seeing unexpectedly in the process is how we should be structured, how God intends for a church to function and be set up. And for the record, none of this, none of this that I've been preaching in these is to somehow insinuate that there are two separate classes of people in a church. Um, I don't want you to get that impression. No one's better than another. We are all members of the same body. Christ is our head. But we also recognize within the local church structure there are leaders and there are followers. That's just life. Before we look at Exodus 18, I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 12. I just want to read this passage and we'll move on, but it's beneficial to remind ourselves of this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, would you look with me beginning in verse 12? For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased Him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, diversity of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of, of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. So please don't take anything from this series that somehow I'm trying to suggest that I feel that, those are, that there are some in the body who are more needful than others. That's not the intent. We are all part of the same body. And it is God who sets the members in the body. He decides who's in what positions. 
And we cannot look at any part of the church body and conclude that it isn't needed. In fact, it's stated in verse 22, Nay, much more of those members of the body which seem to be feeble are necessary. We all work together to make a functioning body with Christ as our head. We are to bestow more abundant honor on the parts that we feel are less honorable. And those parts of the body which are uncomely have more abundant comeliness, meaning they're they're beautiful. We even need the unsightly parts of the body is what this is saying. I don't know about you, but I've never seen an attractive set of knees. I mean, look, even when Solomon was praising uh, his wife in the Song of Solomon, he never mentions her knees. Now, now, if that's your thing, God bless you. But imagine not having knees. Those are the most uncomely things you'll ever see. Yet, if you don't have them, boy, the body hurts, doesn't it? Ask some of these folks that have had knees replaced. And you need those parts that are uncomely even to function properly and efficiently. Now, over the last two weeks, I've been making application from what Stephen called the church in the wilderness, the children of Israel being delivered by God out of, Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage. And I'm making application with Moses as the pastor and the children of Israel as the congregation. And last week, we considered being structured for victory from Exodus 17. Remember, Moses did his part by interceding on behalf of the people up on the hill, Aaron and Hur did their part in supporting Moses, and Joshua and the soldiers did their part down in the valley fighting. Everyone has a place. Everyone has a role in this church. You're not here by accident. And most certainly, if you've joined this fellowship, God has a purpose for you. And you need to get plugged in. Amen? We all have a role in achieving victory. For tonight, as I said, will be in Exodus chapter 18. This is the next event immediately following what we covered last week after their victory over Amalek. And I'm going to read this entire chapter. I was originally thinking it would be nice to end on this thought, end this series on this thought, because um, it just seems like the right place to end it. But there's much more we could cover. We'll see how the Lord leads. I'm not a planner, so we'll just see what happens next week. But uh, here we are tonight nonetheless. Exodus chapter 18, let's jump right in. The Bible says in verse 1, When Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. And he had two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom. For he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eliezer. The God of my father, said he, was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law... You think we need to know he's his father-in-law? How many times have we said that already? Amen. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro am come unto thee and thy wife and her two sons with her. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. 
and all the travail that had come upon them by the way, and how the Lord delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein thou they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another. And I do make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. But be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them the ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall also go to their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Amen. Just from reading this chapter you can easily conclude what the overall message for tonight will be in relation to our series, and that is being structured for efficiency. Last week we talked about being structured for victory. Tonight we see how we should be structured for efficiency. We're just going to make some applications from this chapter. There's a lot that we could draw out. I'm going to try to move as quick as I can. And I'm going to end tonight with how I would like to see us structured going forward. I think this is something I made mention of during our annual State of the Church Address, but I I don't remember for sure. But just a reminder that when Moses was 40 years old, he killed an Egyptian. Well, word got out, Moses fled into the land of Midian. He was running for his life, and long story short, Moses ends up dwelling there with a priest whose name was Jethro. Good name, amen. Came from the hills. And Jethro gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be Moses' wife. I don't know if I said that right. 
Jethro gave Moses his daughter Zipporah to be his wife. And we learn from how this chapter opens up that when Moses departed, when he left Jethro on this mission from God, he left his wife and children behind. And for any men who may be sensing a call to the ministry, this should be the exception and not the rule. We must work at guarding our time and not being constantly pulled away from our family. It's not that we make idols out of our family, but we must protect our time as much as possible. Some have successfully made their family an idol, and it's their excuse for why they can't do anything outside of normal business hours. The truth is, there are times when the ministry will pull us away from our family because the ministry is bigger than we are. Just like the military mission is bigger than we are for those who served. Other first responder jobs we could throw in there. There will be times when you are pulled away from your family. There are calls in the middle of the night sometimes. There are calls that someone has passed away while you're trying to enjoy time with your family. There are the calls from those contemplating suicide. There are calls when someone has attempted suicide. There are emergency hospitalizations. There are the emergency marital issues, emergency family issues, and on and on. I could list examples of things that will disrupt your life. But the point is, there's all kinds of things that will occasionally take precedent over our family while serving God in the ministry. But do everything within your power to limit the amount of time that the ministry pulls you away from your family. For any of you in ministry, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And really, this goes for anybody that has a family tonight. There are times that I have left my phone at home while I am out with my family. On purpose. There are times I will not answer my phone around supper time while I'm at the house. And that's just how it has to be. And, and none of this is to imply that I don't want to hear from you. Don't take that away from this. I do want to hear from you. But some do get frustrated if a phone call or a text isn't returned in their liking in the time frame that they want it to be done. And I really just need your understanding on this issue. I know of a pastor whose family mentioned that every night he would receive a call right at supper time. And he would answer that call. And almost every night, I mean, I, I imagine it wasn't every night, but you know the way people talk and the way the story was being relayed to me was this guy would call all the time, uh, the pastor would answer the phone, and it would be during supper time, and he would end up talking to this guy when he should have been with his family at supper, talking about issues that are non-issues. Don't let that happen in your family. And if you want to help your pastor, then help guard his time. If it isn't an emergency, don't call during normal supper times. I know I'm making enemies tonight already. I can, I can sense it. Uh, what are we paying you for, preacher? I don't know. If it can wait till morning, let it wait till morning. Don't grow frustrated if you don't receive a response in a time frame that you want. Because there's times that I have to be mindful of my family time. For the record, while I'm in the mood, my family emergencies will take precedent over yours. 
My children know, I've, I've sat down every one of them, and I've told them, I don't care who's in my office, I don't care who I'm counseling with, if you need to get to me, you get priority. I said to the church when I was first called to this ministry that if I ever felt I was losing my family, I would have to step away. And I hope you would wait for me as I tried to work those issues out. Because I want you to understand that obeying God's call on your life will never cause you to lose your family. So something's off if I feel like I'm losing my... Because I know God's called me here. And so if I'm losing my family, something's off that I need to go figure out what's wrong and get it right. And I hope you would be patient with that. God's work never conflicts. And while I'm on the topic further, when it comes to guarding your pastor's time, can I just give you a thought here? Don't overthink this, okay? But it would be a help if you could wait to inform me of something dramatic until after I have preached. Sometimes, sometimes there's bombs that are dropped on you and it's like, it is so heavy. And you're like, I got to get up there and preach. And you're sitting here telling me how much Brother Long hates me and now I got to sit here and try to figure this out. It, it can impact the effectiveness is all I'm saying. Um, my wife has learned over these last five years to hang on to things until after I'm done preaching. As this chapter unfolds, we can see a theme of the necessity to guard our time. And as I said, this isn't just for those in the ministry, but obviously this would be for anybody that has a family. We see in verses 1 through 6, Jethro reunites Moses with his wife and children after they had been separated for several months. And in verses 7 through 12, Jethro and Moses catch up with one another, fellowshipping together. I'd have loved to have heard that conversation. But then Jethro takes note of something the next day. Jethro says that Moses is busy judging the people from morning to evening, which means from dawn until dusk. He is dealing with other people's problems. And so Jethro asked Moses in verse 14, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Isn't that an interesting way to put that? What are you doing to the people? I'll come back to that thought. Why sittest thou thyself alone? And all the people stand by thee from morning unto even. In other words, Moses, why are you trying to do all of this by yourself? Moses replies in verses 15 and 16, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Now, it's admirable that Moses is doing this. It's commendable that he's taken all of his time to make God's statutes and God's law known to the people in judgment. In other words, what I'm saying is Moses is dealing with civil matters here. He's, what he's doing is he's taking civil matters and he's giving a, a scriptural judgment. Do you wish America would get back to that? And at this time, Moses is likely leading some two to three million people. I'll put that in context for you. In 1776, they estimate the American colonies were two and a half million people. That's how many people he's dealing with. 
So try to imagine his workload. Here's Moses, he's doing a good work, but I want you to notice Jethro's perception. Look at verses 17 and 18 again. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. This is why it can be beneficial at times to have a fresh set of eyes observe the way we do things. This is oftentimes the military moves their, their top commanders around every two years. And it's good to get a fresh set of eyes on things, see how things are operating. And we're blessed to have many military people pass through. And I love our military families because a lot of them have been in a lot of churches. And they can come in and they can ask, what are you doing? Now, nobody's never done that ugly, but why are we doing this? And it's important sometimes to have a fresh look to ask us these things because if we're not careful, what can happen is we'll get stuck in just tradition. This is how we've always done it. Why would we change it? We need some people to come in. What is this thing that thou doest? Maybe we're not always operating as efficiently as we could. And so as Jethro, he lays eyes on this situation. He offers Moses some unsolicited advice. Don't you love unsolicited advice? That's usually the most difficult kind to accept. Especially from a father-in-law named Jethro. I mean, this would be like me going back to Georgia and Bubba giving me some advice. And here's this unsolicited advice that Moses is going to have to decide whether or not he's going to listen to. And listen, this criticism is probably something that people want to hear. What does he say? The thing that thou doest is not good. What do you mean what I'm doing is not good? I'm giving people the law of God. I'm serving God. I'm in the ministry. I'm... Helping people. What do you mean that what I'm doing is not good? Could it be that Jethro could see how this current structure that Moses was operating under may have been good for the people to an extent, and he'll address that too. But maybe Jethro's looking at this who just delivered Moses' family to him going, Moses, this ain't good for you and your family. Can you kind of sense that maybe Jethro's got that on his mind? They, just, they have just been reunited the day before. Here it is the very next day and Moses is busy from sun up to sun down. He hasn't spent any time with his family. I believe Jethro might be looking at this going, Moses, Israel is pulling you away from your family. This is not good. Perhaps Jethro could see his daughter, Moses' wife, being neglected. Perhaps he could see how his grandsons are going to be neglected by their father. And if there's two classes of people you don't want to mess with, it's a man's daughter and a grandfather's grandchildren. Amen. We can't know for sure what Jethro may have been thinking. But he can easily discern that Moses can't keep operating this way. So Jethro tells Moses, the thing that you're doing is not good. And though this is not God directly speaking to Moses, this is his father-in-law. His father-in-law was a priest. Moses adapts this, and we can rest assured since Jethro later tells him, you know, whatever God wants you to do, that Moses did check with God to have him in this form of, uh, of operation. 
that I believe we can take this and learn from this. I believe this is an admonition that it is possible to do a good thing the wrong way. And it can cause something that is otherwise good to become bad. There are plenty of other examples. Remember when David was moving the ark of God back to Jerusalem and he did so the wrong way. He was using a cart. should have never done that. And as he's using the cart and the oxen's pulling it, the gifts of the threshing hole, the oxen stumbles, the ark of God begins to shake and Uzzah reaches his hands up to stabilize the ark so it doesn't fall. And God kills him on the spot. What kind of God do we serve? I thought he was doing a good thing. I mean, he's just making sure the thing doesn't tumble over and fall. We look at that account and we think how Uzzah was doing a good thing, but even good intentions... And what may look like a good work can have severe consequences. Likewise, it wasn't bad for Moses to make the statutes of God and His laws known to the people in judgment. That's a good thing to do. But Jethro can see the consequences down the road upon Moses' health. And he says in verse 18, Thou wilt surely wear away. In short, we might say Moses was in danger of burning out. Now, burnout is a word we use way too much in the ministry. Because many people who are afraid of burnout never were on fire to begin with. And I believe what Jethro is saying here goes beyond the short term. I believe he's he's looking at the long term as well. Moses is 80 years old, number one. If Moses attempted to keep up this pace, his strength would wither away before his time. His usefulness in the long term would also be diminished. And I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with thinking about the long term. There's nothing wrong with looking at longevity in ministry. We should desire to be used by God for as long as He can use us. I've always desired to have the testimony of Caleb in the Bible, who at the age of 85 could say in Joshua 14, 11, As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. I think we should desire longevity. But we find here that we can wear ourselves out doing a good work, and it can negatively affect our health, and it can even shorten our life. I've heard enough testimonies from pastors who hit about their late 50s and had a heart attack. It's been said that men hit their stride in their 50s. That is the prime of their mind. They still have some strength, and they're able to do things in their life. But then some of these men, as the ministry grows, they keep too much upon them. They fall over with a heart attack, and the doctor says, you're carrying too much stress. What if they just would have been structured the way God says? Carrying too much. Most of those cases, now the church has to give the pastor a sabbatical so he can heal up and figure out how to go forward and not have to carry all this stress and how to handle all his responsibilities. Maybe we just need to distribute the workload more evenly. I don't know if it's possible that they could have prevented their severe health issues. I I don't know. I don't walk in their shoes, so I want to be careful how, how far I push that, but certainly it wouldn't have hurt if it was structured a little more efficient. And so Jethro, he warns Moses in verse 18, this thing is too heavy for thee. 
It was too heavy to perform all of this at his current pace without hazarding his health. And Jethro says, Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. And I want you to also notice in verse 18 that they, their, oper, their way of operation was not only bad for Moses, but it was also bad for the people. That's how Jethro sees it. Moses was surely going to wear away, and the people were surely going to grow tired of having to wait so long to have their cause heard. And since the work wasn't even done at the end of the day, some would have to come back at the beginning of the next day just to start the whole process over again. How many like that? You go to the DMV, wait in line just to find out you don't have the right piece of paper. (laughs) Others might begin to feel neglected or minimized as they could become frustrated because they weren't getting the help that they desired. And for sake of time, I'm just going to jump to Jethro's solution. Look at verses 19 through 23. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them judge all the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall go to their place in peace. In making application to Moses as the pastor, Jethro could see that a pastor needs to teach people how to walk in God's ways. That's my primary responsibility. Prayer and preaching. What's the purpose of preaching? To present the saints mature in Christ for the perfection of the saints. It is my job to try to bring people up to a certain maturity level to where now they can handle matters on their own. We understand with with children, we have to handle certain decision-making for them. But if you're doing your job as a parent, you're also trying to set them up for success when they're making that that decision for themselves. It's the same thing with the pastorate. You get babes in Christ, and you understand there's a season where you just have to work more with them. But there ought to come a point where you're growing and you're maturing and you can now do your part. And so my goal is to bring you to a place of maturity. In addition to this, Jethro suggests to Moses, get other people together to help judge. Well, that makes sense. Rulers over thousands, rulers over hundreds, rulers over fifties, and rulers over tens. I want you to notice the type of men which are needed to help. Notice that verse 21 and verse 25 say, able men. Now, we're talking about my responsibility and your responsibility. Your responsibility in the congregation is to grow and mature in order to be able to help in judging matters. Are you catching this? Able men that will be able to be rulers. What are the qualifications of able men? Number one, fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Fear God. Men of truth. Those who are not going to pervert God's Word. They're not going to water it down. 
they're not necessarily going to be ugly to you, amen, but they're going to give you the truth of God's Word. Hating covetousness. Not using your position to get what you want out of it. And these able men are then placed over these companies of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And in verse 22, those rulers will judge the people according to their ability. And so I think we would understand that what's happening here is that those who had a greater number of people under them, the rulers of the thousands would have the heavier matters to deal with. And those who are judging ten people would have lighter issues, easier issues to deal with. At the end of verse 22, this structure was intended for all to help bear Moses' burden. It says, and they shall bear the burden with thee. And in verse 23, Jethro says, If God command thee to do this thing, then thou shalt be able to endure. The opposite of what he's observing. He's saying, look, you're going to waste away. But if you'll do this, you'll endure. You'll have longevity. And he's also saying it's going to be a blessing to the people. The people would have peace, having had their cases tried, having had been given uh, satisfaction in their differences. The people would be content. Well, Moses takes Jethro's advice, as you know. He puts this system in place. And for this work to function properly, the people had to agree with, to work within the new construct. And, and what happens sometimes as a church grows, I've, I've heard this from pastors at church, very large churches, is the pastor, when the church was small, was able to be there for everybody, and now that the church is big, he's not. And the church has to learn to share that time. There was a guy, he was telling me, and I, I found this eye-opening because we're, we're, I don't consider ourselves to be this you know, big church. This guy's a pastor of a huge church down in Tennessee. Somebody was getting upset because they didn't, he didn't come to visit them in the hospital. And they said, look, there are over 300 people in our congregation in the hospital at any one time. And if the pastor's coming to visit you, it's probably because you're about to die. So maybe you should be happy that he's not visiting you. <laughs> And so you have to be willing to work within this construct. They would have to use the system and not level jump the chain of command. Right, military guys? What's the first thing I ask when somebody come in my office that I knew had a supervisor below me? Did you talk to your supervisor? Because I don't have time to chase down your little red wagon. Now, I need to draw a net around this quickly, but let me summarize everything this way. Pastors are typically very busy. Now, we're not at the point where I'm overworked, okay? I don't want you to take that from this. Our church isn't that big. Um, I'm, I'm not burning out, okay? Um, but pastors are typically very busy. They need to guard their family time. Congregations can help by being mindful of what time of day it is and what is truly an emergency. Depending on the size of a church, the pastoral burdens are too much for one man to handle alone. It can have severe impacts upon a man's help. And so congregations need to produce able men capable of helping to carry the burden of shepherding the people. Now pastors help in this process by training others. And lastly, summarizing this, the congregation can help the pastor by operating within an effective, within an effective structure. For Moses, only great matters were brought unto him. He's no longer dealing with the issues of so-and-so borrowed my shovel and didn't bring it back. Which was an issue addressed in the law. 
You know, he's not dealing with those issues now. He's dealing with the, the major issues. So the people had to go to the other rulers for the easier matters. And I can tell you that as our church grows, this structure becomes more important. And sometimes I believe we need to be structured for growth before we will grow. Because God sees what, how we're set up to handle. And so what I want to try to do going forward in our church is place our families underneath five of our deacons. I've already spoken to the deacons about this. This is nothing new to them. We're going to talk about it more Thursday just to iron it out, make it official, official. Put families under our deacons. So I've already talked to them about this. We're, we're going to iron it out further just to be safe. But the idea is for them to help me minister to you. They're going to reach out to you to let you know that your family is underneath their care. And that will be your initial go-to for any questions or any issues you may have. They will be there to assist in times of crisis as well. Somebody has a death in the family, it's nice to have just a, a belly button to, to push and say, all right, we're going to help you with meals, we're going to make sure you're taken care of, I'll get filled in and I'll be there. You understand I'm not being cut out, I just, it's just going to help. And so I'm not being eliminated from anything, but I believe it's going to be a help to you as well. And I want you to embrace this to the point of at least giving it a try. I'm not saying we're going to stick with it, but it's something I want to try based on this and some things I read over in Acts chapter 6. And, and I think that it would be nice to give it a good run. Our church is not that, not that big that I need to do this. Okay, so I want you to understand that. Um, I would just like to see how it functions myself and to see if we need to set ourselves up in case God does begin to bless us and we can start to see how this works. So is everybody with me on what I want to do? Um, and again, I'll have the deacons under me and then the rest of the families will, will divide up. And if you're a regular attender, but, you don't, but you're not a member, we're still including you. Um, and so I don't want you to feel like you're left out in any way. But I need, I need to wrap this up. Let's pray.